today I've been talking to Richard Capriola, who's an addictions counsellor. He's had many years experience of working with young people in addiction. We've chatted about his award-winning book, which is called The Addicted Child, A Parent's Guide to Adolescent Substance Abuse. And we've discussed the impact of addiction on the young person and on the parent. His message is one of true hope, and his goal is to educate and inform parents about this really painful topic. Hi, Richard. Welcome to Precarious Parenting. I'm really pleased to have you here. Thank you, Murray. It's an honor and a pleasure to be here with you to talk about this subject of adolescent substance abuse. Oh, excellent. I can't wait. Um, so, Richard, tell me, tell me about yourself. Um, you, you obviously haven't got a UK accent. So tell me, you know, where do you live? What work are you doing at the moment? Tell me a bit about you. Well, I'm in the United States. Uh, I was born in Illinois, uh, went to school there, um, and then I'm currently located uh, just outside of Houston, Texas. I relocated from Illinois to Texas to accept a position as an addictions counselor at Menninger Clinic in Houston, which is a, a large psychiatric hospital. And uh, I was an addictions counselor there for a, a little over a decade. And I've uh, got to uh, meet a lot of adolescents and their parents during that time. Um, and then I retired from Menninger a little over a year ago, which was when I set about writing my book. Mm. And what a fantastic book it is, too. Um, thank you so much. So um, when you when we were talking about this podcast, you said to me, um, oh, you can get it on Kindle or as a paperback, and I chose the paperback, and I'm so pleased I did, but we'll talk about that a bit more um, later. But first of all, I just wanted to read the first paragraph of the introduction of The Addicted Child, A Parent's Guide to Adolescent Substance Abuse. So this is the first paragraph. As the parent of an addicted child, feelings of helplessness, blame and fear can drown out any sense of hope. If your child uses alcohol or drugs, you know firsthand how it affects your family. You may be carrying your child's addiction on your own shoulders. You've cried and felt scared, wondering if today the drug would take your child forever. You might have been angry and asked, how did I miss the warnings or wondered, what did I do wrong? And I really love that because I think that speaks to the truth of the fear that so many parents might be experiencing. So many of the parents that I worked with um, in the course of, of of trying to help them and their child overcome an addiction. So many times I, I saw those feelings in parents. Uh, they, they were surprised, first of all, to, to find out the extent of their child's substance abuse. When, when I went through their child's history, they would look at me and they would say, I had no idea this was going on. Or if they did suspect their child was using a substance, they would say, I knew something was going on, but I didn't know it was this bad. Uh, and, and then they would feel guilty and then they would feel afraid. So uh, those, those feelings I saw very often when I was working for parents. And, and part of what 
what I wanted to accomplish in this book was not only to educate them and give them knowledge, because knowledge is power, but I wanted to reassure them that uh, there there is hope for their child and for their family, that treatment does work if they will just get to it uh, and, and intervene as early as possible. Oh, yeah. And, you know, hope is one of my favorite words. And actually, in the acknowledgements at the front, you you acknowledge all the staff that you worked alongside. And you said um, because they believed in the untapped strength of each patient. And that really speaks to me personally, because I believe that we have innate strength and resilience and that we can get through these really, really challenging times with help and support. Yes, that's very true. And, and you know, all of the staff that I worked with came from that perspective that each one of the adolescents and each one of the adults that we worked with who were struggling with serious substance abuse issues had within them the power and, and, the, and the strength to overcome this addiction. Uh, they needed some guidance and they needed some resources and they needed some help. But within themselves, they had the power to overcome this. They just needed to see it. Yes. And, you know, and so the concept of writing people off is flawed in itself. You know, never write anybody off with with that with that message that you're saying. So so tell me at the end of, you know, so you retired, you you had um this huge amount of experience of working with adolescents. So, so why did you actually choose to write the book? You know, where did that come from and how long had it been bubbling away there? Well, it came from my work with, with, with many of these parents and seeing the struggle that they went through and so many times feeling bad that they hadn't caught these warning signs much earlier uh, in the process. So I wanted to write this book to, to, to be a resource for parents. I wanted it to be a very simple, short book covering the major issues without a lot of jargon, without a lot of scientific language. I wanted it to be a very uh, user-friendly document that a parent could pick up, they could read very quickly, keep as a resource, and walk away thinking that they've got this. They understand this issue better now than what they did before. So it covers a whole range of topics in short chapters. The, the entire book runs a little over 100 pages, so parents are able to grasp this information very quickly. And I would second that, you know, absolutely. The way you've, you've laid it out, it, absolutely, it is an easy guide. I would really encourage people to, to get this book and, and just have it as a resource. It's not scaremongery. It's, it lays down how it is in, in, in like you say, local non-jargon non language. So I, I, think you've, I think you've really hit the nail on the head there. So what drugs are you seeing as as the big issue and i know you're in the states i don't know if you can speak for the uk and also you talk about process disorders so i wonder if you could just speak to that as well sure well uh, what we're seeing is that alcohol and marijuana 
continue to be the most prevalent drugs being used by today's adolescents. And that's been true for, for years. Mm. Uh, there's been a new, a new aspect to that, at least here in the United States, where over the last three years, we're seeing more and more adolescents turn to vaping substances, mm. uh, where they will take a substance like nicotine or marijuana, they'll use an electronic device that turns it into a vapor, and then they will inhale that vapor. That has been rising dramatically in the United States among the adolescent population. But marijuana and alcohol still continue to be the primary source of substances being used by adolescents. Process disorders are what we refer to as behavioral type uh, disorders. We have chemical disorders, which are the alcohol and the drugs, and we have process disorders, which are, which are behavioral. And, and examples of that are things like eating disorders, self-injury, and gaming. I met a lot of, uh, of adolescents uh, who were not only using a drug like marijuana, but they were also engaged in, uh, in, in self-harming and cutting on themselves. Um, uh, or they had developed an eating disorder. And I put that in the book because it's important that parents understand that in some cases, not all cases, but in some cases, a child may be abusing a substance like alcohol and drugs, and they may also have a process disorder uh, like cutting on themselves or, or developing an eating disorder. That can also accompany an alcohol and drug use. So parents need to at least be aware of these issues. And if they suspect their child is developing a process disorder as well as a substance abuse disorder, they need to get that assessed and treated as well. You have to treat both disorders. Yes. Yes. So I'm working. Um, I think I think you know, Richard, that I I do one to one support with uh, young young people, <laughs> and um, I have uh, experience of young women actually who who are who have eating disorders. You know, who who are literally turning down food even though they've told me that they want to eat it. You know, yes, so they're. Actually Walking themselves out of eating the food that they actually want. Yes. Uh, yeah. What 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 would you say to that? I would say that in in, in some some girls that we see that accompany alcohol and drug use as a coping mm -hmm. skill, and mm -hmm. the important thing to understand is that it is a coping skill. There's an underlying psychological issue why a young girl is not eating, uh, mm -hmm. for the same reason that she may be smoking marijuana. I had I had one teenage girl who was uh, smoking a lot of marijuana, but also was uh, was uh, cutting on her. So uh, these process disorders some, can sometimes accompany a child's alcohol and drug use. And, and the important thing is to recognize that it's a coping skill. Uh, it, it can be a scary coping skill for parents when they discover their child has an eating disorder, for example. That can be very scary. Um, but it, when you dig below the surface, uh, you find that it's a coping skill. There's some psychological uh, thing going on with that child that they are using the alcohol or the marijuana or the cutting or the or the eating disorder to medicate. Yeah. And, and just to be clear, Richard, you're not saying 
that they go hand in hand. Somebody might have an eating disorder or be self-harming, but not be abusing alcohol or or any type of drug. They don't they don't have to be concurrent. No, they don't. Uh, sometimes they are, but many times they are independent. In other words, you may have a child that just has an eating disorder and that's the only issue that needs to be treated. Um, or you may have a child who is uh, self-injuring themselves and that's the only issue that the child is, is, is confronted with. They're not involved in alcohol or marijuana. So it can go both ways. It, it, it sometimes Sometimes it involves uh, using alcohol or marijuana or some other drugs. Many times it is uh, it is just the um, the eating disorder itself. Yeah, yeah, and and it's all painful to watch. You know, when when you're feeling a helpless parent, it's it it can it can feel very very painful and scary. It is painful. It is scary for a parent because they, they, you know, they they wonder, well, how did I miss the warning signs? This has been going on for quite some time. How did I not know it was going on? And then there's always the fear that, you know, something may happen to their child. And all of these are very common fears and emotions that parents go through. And, and they need support and they need help in their journey as well as the child needs help and support, both the child and the parent parent and the entire family usually needs support and help as well. Yes. And I, gosh, you know, that I couldn't agree with you more. And when I think about, um, you know, I'm in conversation with parents so often and, and it's screaming out to me that they need some time for themselves. They need, so they say, oh no, we're going to have family therapy. And it's like, but for you, where's the self-care for you? You know, that, that time out for you, because because sometimes you have a sense that the parent, often the mum, you know, I don't want to do some kind of generous stereotype, gender stereotype, but, you know, she's she's lost in it all. Yeah, that, that's that's very true, uh, Marie. And, um, and and because of those very issues that you just mentioned, I wrote a companion workbook for parents that goes along with the main book. Um, it, it's a parent workbook. It's very short, but it gives parents a resource that perhaps can help them. It helps them go through the emotions that they're struggling with. It gives them some tips on how to handle anxiety. It gives them some suggestions on, on how to really develop some sound communication skills with their child. And that's all included in the in the brief parent workbook. Ah, wonderful. Because I actually do know of some young people who say, well, actually, you know, when when and I'm and I'm really pricing conversations here, but they sort of say, well, actually, one of the reasons why I do what I do is 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 to piss off my parent, basically. You know, there's a kind of they're in they're in such different yeah. places that they've lost touch with each other. I, I, I think that happens many times. And one mm -hmm. of the things that I stress with parents is that no matter what the age of your child, they might be eight or nine or 16 or 17, or they might be in their 20s, that you as a parent can develop 
good communication skills with your child. We, we're very good at listening to other people's words, but oftentimes we're not so good at listening to the feelings behind those words. So part of what I stress in the parent workbook are exercises to help parents learn the skill that when they're talking to their child, they're not only hearing the words, they're hearing the feelings behind those words. Yes, yes, because the child might say, um, I'm doing this because, but actually what they're really saying is, I'm doing this because I feel shame and guilt um, and I don't know how to handle that. Yes, that's an excellent point because yes. then when a child is able to put those into words, then you're, be, then, you're, then you're getting at the core issue of why that child might be, say, smoking marijuana. Um, yeah. uh, a lot of the young men and, and women that I worked with who were smoking marijuana multiple times a day, when I asked them to help me understand why they were smoking so much marijuana, the number one answer that came back was, it helps me with my anxiety. Yeah. Yeah. And you and I know that the marijuana is not the answer to the anxiety. It's a cover it is, and, 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 and what I found and what I shared with these young, young men and women was uh, while marijuana seemed to help them with their anxiety, when the psychological test came back, what we found was that the processing speed of their brain was below average, their short-term memory was impaired, and their motivation was significantly curtailed. So, you know, the, the, the marijuana was having an impact on their brain and when they could see that when they could see that evidence of how it was changing their brain it led them to examine whether or not they really wanted to continue with the marijuana and many times they decided that it, it just wasn't worth it well it's a you know that's such a good point you make because i am sure that that somebody can tell us to let's take an easy example give up smoking a thousand times and we can tell ourselves i should give up smoking because it's bad for me it's bad for my lungs but we still don't give up until the moment we insightfully see that we don't want to smoke anymore and when we see it insightfully then the change happens that's true and the, and that insight oftentimes for an adolescent and, and, and for adults often comes when through education, when, when they can see for themselves uh, how these drugs work within their brain, the neuroscience of it. And that's why I put the chapter in my book on the neuroscience mm -hmm. so that people could understand in very simple terms how drugs work within the adolescent brain. And, and what I found had an impact for adolescents was the neuroscience, was the education. When they learned how these drugs affected the brain, they were more likely to seriously consider giving up smoking marijuana. Yes. And, and, I, and it's really helpful, the bit about the brain. Um, I have another book about, um, it's, it's called Blame the Brain, the Amazing Teenage Brain by a woman called Nicola Morgan. And, and it talks about how the, the front of the brain, the prefrontal cortex, is, is not developed. 
you know, when and 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 they and I you you're the expert here, but I heard it was takes up to the age of 24, but now it's being suggested it could be up to the age of 30, even sometimes for people for their brain to be fully formed. Yes, our our, our brain does take time to develop. It 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 develops from from the back of the head to the front of the head. So that part that you mentioned, that prefrontal cortex, is usually the last part of the brain to develop in the mid to late twenties, and that's an important part of the brain because it's responsible for higher order thinking, the ability to weigh pros and cons, and make good decisions. So when you start to introduce drugs into an adolescent developing brain, you risk that child not only becoming dependent on that drug, but you risk also uh, changes in their ability to remember the processing speed of the brain, the short-term memory. All of those things can be, can be negatively affected by introducing substances into an adolescent developing brain. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So I just wanted to talk a, a little bit about warning signs. And I'm, I'm when I wrote, when I thought about asking you that question, I, I don't want to get into a scaremongery, but I know that that's not some, anything you're interested in either. And I know that when I've worked with young lads who are smoking a lot of weed, they will usually say to me, well, it's not a problem. You, you drink alcohol, which actually I don't. But, you know, you drink alcohol or you do this. So weed's not an issue. So and, and it's not just weed we're talking about here. So what would what would you say are the the warning signs for parents? Well, I have different warning signs throughout my book. Uh, there's there's warning signs for marijuana use. There's warning signs for alcohol use. There's warning signs for parents to be educated and aware of what they may see if their child is developing an eating disorder or is self-harming. So those are all different kinds of warning signs that parents should, should at least be aware of. But as a general rule, what I recommend to parents is pay attention to the changes that you see in your child. Um, don't just assume that these changes are normal adolescent development. They may very well be, but they also might be signs of an underlying deeper emotional issue going on. So pay attention to the warning signs. For example, you may have a child who was earning very good grades and now you notice that the grades are starting to decline. You may have a child who was very social and outgoing now becomes isolating and quiet. You may have a child who in the past you knew who their friends were and they introduced you to their friends now becomes very secretive of those friends. You may have a child who used to participate and enjoy sports no longer participates and enjoys sports. So these are the kinds of changes that parents just need to be aware of. Um, and, and the more of these changes that you see as a parent, the more likely that there's something going on underneath the surface. So pay attention to the changes, be aware of them, find out what's going on, and if needed, get some assessments done so that you understand why those changes are occurring in your child. Yeah. And 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 reach out for that help. Um, I, I I often wonder whether people leave it um, 
too long before reaching out for professional help or, or even seeking support from schools or GPs. I mean, obviously, sorry, GP being, you know, our, our doctors here in the UK. Um, do, do you find that parents are sometimes reticent to say that they need help? I, I think they're they're reticent to say that they need help. I think they're reticent to recognize that their child needs help because this is a very scary subject for parents. And many parents uh, want to avoid it, understandably, for as long as they can. But a, a lot of the parents that, that I worked with they they found themselves in a position where the, the the substance use and the behaviors had gotten so far out of control that they finally got to where they had to admit their child to a psychiatric hospital. Now, that doesn't happen in a lot of cases, but I think it's very natural for parents to be afraid of this issue, to not understand this issue, uh, because it can be very scary. And one of the reasons that I wrote my book was to take that fear away because knowledge is power. If parents can read this book and walk away feeling that they understand this issue better, perhaps they won't be so afraid of it. Perhaps they will feel more confident that if confronted with this issue, they're better prepared to deal with it than what they were before. That's my hope in people reading this book, that they will feel more confident, that they will feel more prepared in the event that they're confronted with this issue and to not be afraid of it so much. Yeah. And I'm, I'm almost imagining parents saying right now, yeah, but I can't have a conversation with my child. My, my adolescent child won't, won't let me talk to them. And then I would say, because my background was in education, 16 to 19 year olds in our further, further education colleges, that there are other people, if we're at a point when they don't want to have a conversation with you, then there are other people, or maybe there's aunts, or maybe there's, you know, uh, a sports coach or somebody that might be there to support. It doesn't always have to be on the parent, does it? But you're talking about parents' knowledge now. I'm talking about parents' knowledge. I'm talking about educating them so that they understand what the warning signs are, so that they understand what assessments are important, and they understand what resources and what treatment options are that are there. So it's an education tool. But you're right also, Marie, that many times the, the, the child is reluctant to talk to the parent. They may be angry. They may be afraid. Um, so, so there are other people that that are available that might be a resource for parents to use to talk to their child. It might be another family member. It might be a grandparent. It might be an aunt or an uncle who has uh, a little bit stronger uh, ability to talk to their child. It might be a school counselor. It might be a therapist. So th there, there are people out there that parents can turn to to, to work with their child to develop that, that information and that communication. So um, it's not unusual that the child doesn't want to talk to the parent. Many times they're angry, uh, but there are other resources and other people out there that, that might be able to help. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, what I often come across is actually the, the young person says to me, 
I didn't want to talk to my parent because I didn't want to upset them or worry them. The child has taken the responsibility of the issue on and feels they can't put that onto their already seemingly overloaded parent, which is an interesting which is an interesting view that often as parents, we forget that our child might think they're looking after us. <laughs> that's true. In, in some cases, that, that that's very true, where the child takes on the burden, basically, of not wanting to trouble the parent. So therefore, mm. they, they keep it even more of a secret. And mm. although they may not want to talk to the parent about this, um, they may be willing to talk to a therapist or to a counselor about it. Absolutely. So I just wanted to ask you, and I mean, I suspect you've got thousands of examples of success stories because I didn't want to leave this podcast episode, you know, feeling we've talked about hope at the start. Let's bring some hope back in now. So have you got any examples where, you know, it's really worked out fine? There are many success stories uh, that, that that I saw when I was working at Menninger Clinic. Most of these children would come into the hospital very reluctant to, 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 to engage in therapy. They were angry at their parents for bringing them into treatment. They were angry at, 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 at the staff. They were very angry with having to be literally forced into treatment. And we would let them work through all of those emotions. It took some time, but we were patient and we were working with them. And within a period of sometimes just days, um, I would see them turn around and begin to engage and open up in, in, in treatment. And then after a few weeks, I would see them actually being being to the point where they were open to further treatment. Maybe it was further treatment with us. Maybe it was being referred to a residential treatment program. But the change came very quickly from the time they walked into the door until they left. Sometimes within a matter of a, of, of a couple of weeks, I would see a dramatic change in their attitude where they were actually moving more towards being receptive for treatment. Um, and for those that went on to longer term treatment, I've heard stories and feedback from parents about how well their child had done in treatment, how much they had changed, and, and how proud they were of their child's work and their success. So there are numerous success stories out there uh, for both parents uh, and for the children. Wonderful. Oh, thank you so much. So, um, I really want to be able to guide people to your book, to your website, um, to also to the to the second book, to the to the workbook that you talked about. So I wonder whether you could just um, give your web address, repeat the names of the books again. I got mine on Amazon, um, and then yeah, if if anybody wants to contact you for more information. Yes, um, the the both the book and the parent workbook are available on Amazon. Uh, you can also go to visit uh, the book's website, which is www.helptheaddictedchild.com www.helptheaddictedchild.com. And on the website, uh, you'll be able to order uh, both the book 
and and the workbook. It'll take you there's a there's a link uh, which will take you directly to Amazon where you can purchase uh, both the book and the workbook. Um, for those people who prefer to read uh, on on a Kindle, uh, there is a Kindle version of it as well as a paperback. But but I think many parents might prefer just to have the paperback as a resource because it's handy. They can keep it on their bookshelf. Um, also on the website, you can read endorsements from some medical staff. You can read uh, some book reviews. Uh, this book, uh, the main book, has won four book awards so far um, and numerous endorsements. There is also a link where uh, people, if they're interested, can contact me. They can send messages to me or ask questions and I'll get back to them. So I would encourage anybody to either go directly to Amazon to get the book or, or the parent workbook or to visit the website and order uh, their copies through the website. Um, the title of the book is The Addicted Child, A Parent's Guide to Adolescent Substance Abuse. The workbook has the same title. It just says parent workbook as a subtitle. Excellent. Thank you. And yeah, for me, Personally, for me, when I when I had the option of the Kindle or the or the paperback, I got the paperback, and I have already scribbled in it, <laughs> underlined sections, and I think I think you're right as a reference, as an easy to read reference guide for parents. It's it's spot on. So so well done you, um, Richard. It's been wonderful talking to you. I've really enjoyed our time together, and perhaps we might talk again. Thank you, Marie. I really appreciate uh, you having me on the program and for your questions and your comments. I think they were very helpful. And for anyone who, who listens to this program, if, if they do have questions or perhaps we didn't address an issue that they're interested in, if they will contact you, uh, I'd be more than willing to come back to do another session where we can respond to, to their questions. Oh, what a great idea. Well, thank you very much, Richard. Thank you, Marie. Have a good day. You've been listening to Precarious Parenting by Realization Works. Subscribe to realizationworks.com to access more resources, including monthly blogs written to be shared with younger people.